we not both the living dead? What's good, anybody out there? This is your friendly Crimson Stain, and welcome to the Grave Wax Podcast. It's episode six, and I think I picked a real fine film for us to review tonight. This one comes from the late 70s, and it's from the master, the godfather. It's Lucio Fulci's Zombie 2. And there's so many great films from Lucio Fulci that would just be perfect for this podcast. And I think this is probably the best one to start with. It's uh, maybe the second Lucio Fulci movie I ever saw. But the first one was House by the Cemetery, and I had rented it back in the VHS days, and it was a, as I have later found out, it was just not a great experience or not a memorable movie that I watched because it was uh, from a version that was edited and moved all around, and it really wasn't the movie we know today uh, on, that you can find on Blu-ray. So it wasn't until I watched Zombie 2 that I really understood what Fulci was capable of And, you know, I've been on board ever since then. And I love zombie films. The zombie is just a great monster. There's been so many different versions of what a zombie is and can be. And it's really cool that you have the freedom to kind of work with, you know, so many different angles of what this terrifying concept could be. Whether it's a, a voodoo spell or just reanimated corpses or, you know, some sort of infected plague of people. Either way, um, it can add up to great films. There's great films in every type of style. And I looked up, you know, what was the first zombie movie, and it seems to say that uh, 1932's White Zombie is the first movie, which is like that voodoo zombie. And that's the origin, you know, like it comes from William Seabrook's The Magic Island, which I think is from the late 20s. And, of course, that's about making slaves to work on sugar plantations and it's like forced work and you're not even necessarily dead or anything you're just under a spell that robs you of your will and forces you to act in the way of the master or whatever and there's actually i think there's even an earlier version of that which goes back to uh, not even a horror movie but a sci-fi movie uh, fritz lang's metropolis where the underground workers they move exactly like zombies in certain scenes there's that famous uh, scene where they are marching into the mouth of Moloch. But there's other scenes, too, where they're just moving around exactly like one of uh, Fulci's zombies here. And so it does ground the zombie in this kind of like, you know, it's a class struggle of this soulless automaton that's forced to do this work for, you know, evil capitalists or whatever. Uh, so that's a pretty good starting point. And then... You know, it mutates along and then you get Romero in 68 with Night of the Living Dead where now the concept is they're just reanimated corpses and you don't even know exactly what's going on. It's this like kind of uh, primal struggle for survival against this strange scenario where you don't know what's going on or what's happening. There's a few radio and TV segments that kind of try to explain things, but it's not super authoritative and mainly you're just trying to survive this strange plague of whatever's happening you know these undead things coming after you and of course Romero developed that even further with Dawn of the Dead so he's making another point which is now a little stale but whatever is that you know the zombies are just these consumers they're the ultimate consumer and you've got the mall thing and all the symbolism there and you know it was it was a good thing that Romero pointed all this out 
and uh, saved us from this uh, consumerist hell. And, you know, there was never this huge uh, glut of zombie merchandise and subpar zombie films that uh, people just bought without thinking and just kept shelling out money for. That would be very bad if that had ever happened. But again, he's just, he's not explaining. Like in the beginning, everyone on TV is like totally confused. They don't know what, they're just arguing amongst themselves over what's causing this phenomena of these people getting up and killing so uh now it isn't that you're like a forced worker now you're like a forced consumer so you're putting it into a different category and you know now everything is just up in the air uh you've had people say it's caused by uh you know these government problems uh, these secret programs that poison people with you know they've used radiation they've used uh diseases developed in labs but i see it in real life too i believe there are zombies in real life they walk among us and it's caused by the internet the internet is actually what's doing it uh i can't say too much about it because again the forces of the plutocracy will uh cancel me and shut down my paypal and stop this wonderful podcast so i can't really go into it but i think if you realize if you spend too much time online it get, really gets into your veins, and some people resist, and some people just do not, and they are problems. So that's my two cents about zombies, the zombie genre, and zombie origins. And with that, let's get on to this epic, wonderful journey, Zombie 2. So we're going to open with one of the most iconic openings in Grindhouse zombie history. There's going to be a close-up shot of a guy pointing a revolver, and he points it at this body. It's wrapped up in this white sheet, and it's tied up on top of that. And he just aims his gun at him and puts a bullet right in the middle of his face. And, of course, there's blood, and the body falls back down. And then you hear one of the most iconic opening lines ever, which is, The boat can leave now. Tell the crew. And then you just cut to the black screen in the credits, and some of the most epic um, opening music plays it's the theme from Zombie 2. It's by Fabio Fritzi, who did a lot of Fulci's uh, score work. And it really just sets the tone of like this kind of mysterious adventure we're going to be going on. Once the credits are done, we just get thrown right into the action. There's this boat sailing through uh, New York Harbor. You can see the Twin Towers in the background. This is such a, a beautifully shot thing. I want it, Even though I have two Blu-rays of, of uh, Zombie already, I'm tempted to by the 4k version and you know also i'll have to get a 4k tv and player but i would love to see what this looks like in 4k it's just this beautiful it's like it's like grainy gritty grindhouse but it's also just really awesome just 35 millimeter photography and anyway this boat is this crazy boat is just uh, drifting through this harbor it's a real dirty bird it's got cans rolling all over the floor i don't know what the floor on a boat is called I'm going to expose my ignorance there. The wheel is unmanned. It's just flopping around. It, it just You get a sense of like the desolate dread that it's building from this very opening. And apparently this was all filmed without a permit, without permission. Obviously, they had to bribe some people because they got this official boat uh, that comes through. But other than that, I don't think they had any like special permits. And they get a lot of footage. They've got you know beautiful artistic shots of the wheel and this boat as well as like this overhead copter shot and there's a the people in the helicopter are like hey this thing almost ran at the staten island ferry and sure enough there's like this alarming boat horn and this as a staten island ferry uh sails past it 
And so the helicopter's going to radio for help, and this boat's going to uh, come out. And there's these two cops. There's this one cop, I think his name's Bill. And the other cop, they, they just call him the Sarge. And uh, they're like, hey, Sarge, this boat's abandoned. And so apparently they're going to get like a bonus. They're going to get a cut of the salvage material if this thing is, you know, just hauled in. There's another one of my favorite lines early on where it's like, skipper of that boat must be a real turkey. And so they get on board and they're going to look around. The Sarge is looking below and uh, he just sees he's disgusted by all the filth. This place is just so filthy. And there's a, a very fateful thing that happens to him that saves his life. The sail just falls right down on him as he's about to go below. And so he gets pissed off. He starts yelling at Bill. He's like, you know what? I'm going to deal with this uh, winch and sail and everything. You look down here in this crap hole. And so Bill has to go down there. And so he's looking around. And sure enough, it's just there's filth. There's like flies buzzing around, dirty plates everywhere. And then you see something even a little bit weirder, which is there's a centipede worm things that are on the piano. Which is, first of all, it's just kind of weird to have a piano on a boat. But this, I, it just makes me think like Billy Joel owned this boat or something. It's just a very yuppie, boomery thing to have. But again, I know nothing. So Bill's like looking around and then he picks up this cloth. I don't know why he would pick up anything, but he picks up this cloth and there's something inside of it. And then it unfurls and it out falls this thing. What is it? It's like this gray decaying hand with like blood all over it. So it's an awesome bloody hand. And then just just perfect timing. Fulci really has a great suspense, you know, jump scare thing going for you. This zombie breaks through this door. He's well known as the fat zombie. Um, apparently he was saving that hand for his like last snack. And he guy just ruins it, drops it on the floor for him. So he's going to like have something to say about that. So he tackles Bill. He starts ripping into his neck. Really good uh, gore effects here. Uh, which is, I believe, Gino De Rossi did uh, the uh, gore effects here. They really always stand out. So once Fatty takes care of Bill, he goes up above, and, of course, Sarge is there. He draws his gun. He gives him, like, ten chances to, like, stop. But you know what? These crooks, they never stop. Neither do these zombies. They don't know, they don't know the meaning of the word uh, surrender. So Sarge just unloads on him, and there's a very artful shot which seems pretty scary for the actor. Like he had to actually fall into that harbor. So he falls into the water, the zombie does. And then there's a quick pan up to the Brooklyn bridge and the, the city beyond. And it's just such a perfect little, uh, foreshadowing there. It's great. Uh, again, just Fulci's just the master. I, I'll try not to say it too much, but he's the master. And speaking of which the next scene is the newsroom and who's in the office, the head of the paper Fulci himself and his famous cameos. So he's on the phone getting a tip about what has just happened. This uh, police officer has been murdered on board this boat. So he's going to send out a reporter. And so he signals. And by the way, this was apparently filmed in Rupert Murdoch's real life uh, New York offices. Apparently the producers like bribed the janitor to let him in like during the night or whatever. So you get this really cool scene with like lots of extras and everything. But Fulci is like... Um, get that limey in here. And so this is this funny little thing of, of uh, bringing uh, this guy's Britishness into this, which I don't know exactly what the deal is. We'll discuss it. But uh, he brings in Peter West, who's going to be our hero. This is our intrepid reporter. Uh, back to the days when journalists were not all scumbags. If that day ever existed. Apparently, this is one of the examples. This is just a guy who wants to get the story, and he is, he's going to 
follow up on this. So he's going to go to Pier 15 and check out this uh, hot lead here. And what's interesting is Fulci is like real standoffish towards him. And he says, uh, you know, what? Uh, keep the British out of your prose. It's like, what? what is the anti-British angle here, especially in regards to American journalism? And uh, he bring, he mentions like, okay, your uncle might have bought the paper, but you're just a reporter to me. And you know, like, who who is this English person who just is buying American media? That does that ever happen? Like Rupert Murdoch is Australian, so again, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but again, maybe this is just uh, you know avoiding the wrath of the plutocracy or something. So he's going to send out uh, Peter West, and he's going to go um, and check out Pier Fifteen now. At that time on Pier 15, there's the investigators making their initial investigation, and they've got someone on board now. This is going to be Anne Bowles. Now, she is the daughter of the owner of this boat, and she just looks really freaked out and overwhelmed as these guys are trying to interview her. And uh, basically all she can tell them is that, yes, that's this is her father's boat. Um, she hasn't talked to him in months. Everyone's really confused. No one understands exactly how it came to be that this boat is adrift, with only this one murderous uh, fatso and you know just what the hell is going on and basically uh, everyone's confused and you know we're going to need an intrepid British reporter to come up and sort this out uh, but before we do that we got to go now to there's one more scene which is at the morgue and another thing I like about these old movies is you get to see the old buildings the way they looked back in the day and the old cars lined up uh, even if they're just these kind of boxy late 70s, 80s cars, it's still cool to see them in their natural environment. And this is a really cool blue building, uh, even though it's a m more modern building. It's not like a great art deco building or anything, but it looks cool. And it's the medical examiner room uh, office or whatever. And if you think Fulci was a little rude to his underling Peter West in that last scene, well, you ain't seen nothing yet because this medical examiner is a real asshole to his assistant. And this assistant, they both are really cool-looking 70s people, by the way. And the assistant starts out by saying, you know, I made the initial uh, examination here, and I've determined that what caused this guy's death is uh, this hole in his neck here. And, of course, there's Bill on the slab, Bill the cop. And uh, he looks really cool. He's all blue. Uh, it's a really nice-looking corpse work there. And the medical examiner, examiner, he's like, okay, smart guy, you know that, but what caused this hole? And uh, then he just starts shrugging his shoulders, which I guess is not the best answer. And so the guy just takes the opportunity to jump on him and say, it's caused by bite marks, you fucking idiot. And uh, he starts looking at, examining everything. And, you you know, sometimes when uh, your superior starts chewing you out like that, at some point, he even he realizes the point's been made. He realizes not to go any further, but this guy is not that way. He just picks up the scalpel, starts complaining about how it can't slice paper, and he's just like, this is going to be a real long day, basically, is what's happening. And he doesn't even know the half of it, because uh, he doesn't notice that uh, underneath that sheet, the Bill's hand is starting to twitch, and it's just another great uh, Fulci touch there that's uh, foreshadowing how crazy things are about to get. And the next scene, now it's nighttime, and it, we're back on the pier, and Anne's going to have to you know, she's not satisfied the way the investigation's going, so she's going to launch her own investigation and sneak onto the back onto the boat. And there's just one cop in his car just kind of not paying too much attention, and she's able to get on the boat not with uh, not too much trouble. So she goes below, and she's looking around, doesn't really know where to start, when all of a sudden, from behind her, this hand comes out, grabs her, puts his hand over her mouth, 
And, you know, then he has, like, you notice this very uh, polite British accent that's apologizing. And, but he says, you know what, don't even worry, because uh, I've just been following you, and I don't want you to scream. That's the only reason I grabbed you like this. And then he says he's a journalist, which is the biggest red flag of all, of course. Uh, but she doesn't scream. She senses that she's going to have a wonderful adventure with this guy uh, right from the beginning. And uh, he says, uh, I've... Um, I found something, which I don't know exactly when he found this thing, but anyway, it's a letter. And it's going to be a very prophetic letter that's going to play into the plot. But uh, as as he's saying that, uh, old Anne's spazzy McSpaz, she kicks over like a lamp or a lantern or something and uh, makes a hell of a noise. So now the cop's going to, outside's going to come in and investigate. And instead of them uh, just hiding, Peter West has an even better plan. Uh, he's going to get on top of her on the bed and they're going to pretend like they're making out. And uh, this is a just a plan he just came up with spontaneously, we're led to believe. And so when the cop comes in, I believe this sort of thing happened and it happened one night. I'd I have to watch it again, but I think this something like this happened on there with uh, these strange, meet cute couples. Who, who was it? Clark Gable and uh, Claudette Colbert? I don't know. Anyway, they had some sort of similar encounter. So Fulci just borrowing from the best here. And uh, so... Basically, they have to pretend they're like this longtime couple. You can see they've got great uh, energy between them. They're, they're really able to improv and pull one over on this cop who just thinks they're just some uh, weird nuts out for some sort of uh, improper, uh, you know, liaison involving, you know, a death scene. And the cop just kicks them out. And so, you know, they just leave. Uh, so it's the next day. And West is at the payphone. He's talking to presumably to Fulci, and he's basically planning this trip. They're going to, from this letter, he basically realizes that the dad had been sailing around the islands down below. And, um, and, and I guess they called it the Antilles. I'm not a, a geography guy. But um, basically, he's on this island called Matul. And he'd gotten sick, and there was some problems involving, um, you know, some sort of uh, horrible disease. And so... It's a little ambiguous, and they're basically going to go down, see if they can find this island, and see what the hell was going on, and is the father alive? It's, we just don't know. So, uh, West gets money to, uh, you know, get the tickets and everything, and off they go. They go off in this awesome 70s uh, airport with, like, really cool uh, clockwork orange-looking chairs. And I noticed when they were boarding that uh, Peter West, he took the Ann's bag, so already they're having a little bit of a they're starting to become a couple it seems and so they go and they they fly out uh to the mainland over there and they're in a, in a big green taxi and this guy he looks the dr taxi driver he looks like uh joe grandy and from a uh, touch of evil and he's uh basically he's got the information they want to know how they can get on a boat to go sailing around to this find this island that's probably not even on a map and uh he basically he hints at a bribe he's very smooth and so they west knows the score and so he gives him a couple bucks and he's like oh yeah there's this american couple down on the docks they'll probably take you and so they go down uh to the docks they get out and uh pedro there he's he gives him another he shakes him down for another couple bucks and uh so they go off and they're gonna meet brian and susan this is brian and susan on this boat uh brian hole and susan barrett I, I, this, these are my notes, basically writing down people's names and stuff. 
And so Brian doesn't want to go to Matul because that's not a cool place to go. Uh, the natives say it's cursed. And this is it's weird that he's saying this now, but we'll get to what he says later. But uh, he's a little reluctant. And mainly, I've, I would think he just like, I'm here with this really hot chick. What the hell do I need two other people for? I mean, I know it's the swing in 70s, but I mean, enough, enough's enough. Sometimes you just want uh, a little bit of privacy, I would think. So anyway, they they are debate about it for like three seconds and they decide, okay, we're, we'll take you. And so they come aboard and they're introducing each other and, and uh, Anne's apparently was born on a boat. She's not going to have any problems with her uh, not knowing how to sail. And uh, so there you go. There's your, uh, there's your team. So from those happy people starting out on their journey, we're going to go straight to the island of Matul. And who's there? But it's Dr. Maynard and his wife. Now, Dr. Maynard, he's on this uh, shortwave radio trying to make contact with the island, and it's not going well. It's, uh, it's kind of like The Shining. They're very isolated. We're, we're getting the sense of that. And uh, everyone's just kind of sweaty and disgusting. And the wife's very agitated. She wants to leave immediately. She's just dressing down this uh, poor old doctor here. And uh, he's he's getting a little fed up with her. And she pours herself a drink as she's uh, berating him. And it's interesting, in this Italian movie, there's no J&B in uh, this one. Every, I guess everyone's drinking this uh, Caribbean rum. So she's making herself that drink. And uh, they're talking cryptically about what's going on on this island. Of course, it's the movie's called Zombie 2, so I think we know what they're talking about. But it's nice to... There still is a little bit of build-up to the horror, which I really find uh, just pitch-perfect. And at one point... Uh, She's, uh, she says, they found another one, didn't they? Where, where did they find it? And he's like, oh, they found it all the way on the other side of the island. It's no big deal. I'm sure this is a huge island that this is a, you know, this is, this is a not good. And she sees right through it. And she starts getting hysterical. So, of course, what do you have to do? You, gotta, you have to slap the hysterical woman at all times in these movies. And uh, she's just, it's, she's not going to stop, though. Uh, she's like, you, you won't be happy until I meet one of your zombies. And so the doctor just figures it's time to go outside. And uh, there's Miguel out there. Uh, he's the he's like the gardener. And he's like, uh, doctor's like, I got to get away from this crazy bitch. Uh, so you know what? Guard her with your life, which is not the best plan if you really care about your wife. Just to you know, say to the random gardener, hey, uh, protect her from the living dead, will you? I'm out of here. But I, I have a feeling doc, the doctor may not... Uh, care that big a deal one way or another so he's going to get in his car which happens to be an awesome blue uh land rover uh, just one of those awesome iconic cars uh, and you'll see it again in um what was that what's the next movie it's in it's in um Zo zombie holocaust yeah it shows up it's an unrelated zombie film zombies and cannibals in that one but anyway uh so he's going to drive off in his uh, cool car and as he's uh, driving away, we cut back to them in their boat sailing away. I mean, there's no sails on this boat, but I, I don't know what to call it. Driving a boat, I know, is wrong. But anyway, they're motoring this boat. And uh, as they're coming out of the harbor, there's this really cheerful uh, music. And it, all of a sudden, there's a man on the dock that sees them. He just knows, oh, this isn't good. So he gives a sign of a cross, and the music turns really ominous. It's a pretty good scene. Uh, very good. Very cool to line up everything like that. And then uh, Maynard is in his, uh, you know, laboratory, which is his shack, and uh, he's examining a microscope, and then he draws uh, his own blood and, and uh, puts it on a thing and, and microscopes it. I'm doing real great with this uh, description here. 
but uh, he's obviously doing some very hardcore research involving his own blood, which, uh, spoiler alert, doesn't make a goddamn bit of difference. Uh, and so I guess since that doesn't matter, uh, we just cut back to the boat. And they're kind of discussing where they are. They're they're not quite sure where they're at, but they're not too concerned yet. And uh, Susan's like, you know what, I want to... Uh, why don't we stop a little bit and I'll go below and take some of uh, pictures of this beautiful ocean below us. So I don't know if the people actually do this, but she gets naked, uh, and, uh, puts on scuba gear. I don't know if do people actually do that. I, I mean, she did. So I guess the answer is yes. And I'm glad for it. So she goes, uh, under, under the water there and she's, uh, you know, uh, swimming. And it was funny because of course, uh, West is checking her out as she's, uh, preparing very innocently. She's very innocently, uh, becoming naked. And, uh, Anne's like looking at West, looking at her just to kind of gauge, you know, is this guy a, a dog or what? And, uh, Brian's character is obviously this earthy barbarian type. He's just eating like, uh, meat with his hands. So, you know, we got, we're getting the whole gambit here. And before we find out what happens to Susan below the water, and spots an island really far out in the distance. And this most epic line when Peter says, who's to say that's not Matul? So Susan's diving underwater and she's swimming around, taking pictures of schools of fish and beautiful underwater vistas when all of a sudden a shark appears. Imagine that. There's a shark in the Caribbean Ocean. So she's going to surface and scream at Brian for help. Uh, I don't forget exactly why she can't get back up on the boat, but, uh, Brian's alerted. So he's going to do the best thing he can do, which is to grab a rifle and piss off the shark because that's the thing to do. So this shark's swimming very close to the surface and Brian gets a shot or two off at it and uh, it doesn't take it kindly. And so it decides to uh, ram the boat. It has a real, uh, good instinct for this. So Susan has to go back under the, the boat's Ram, this is going to be a crucial plot point. Now Susan's underneath the water with a, a pissed-off shark, and the shark's going to kind of... If if you look at it just in terms of uh, triangulation, what happens next is actually going to be great. But uh, Susan, like the, the shark's kind of swimming towards her. Susan's backing up. I mean, what can you do? She's pretty much uh, shark shark bait at this point. When all of a sudden she gets a tap on her shoulder from behind... And she turns around, and it's the most unlikely thing you'll ever think of. But it is a blue zombie underneath the water, just kind of hanging out. And uh, so it's like, damn, uh, this zo- first of all, this zombie, I mean, talk about timing. He really is a Chad zombie because, you know, uh, like ev- even for me at, at a party when I'm like, you know, you never know exactly when to approach, uh, you know, a person you want to talk to and kind of break in you know whatever but meanwhile this this lady this naked woman's about to be eaten by a shark and this fool is just like pardon me ma'am like he's he does not given a fuck he just knows he's got to go for it uh so good for him so and then uh maybe maybe a little bit less admirable is the fact that he starts strangling her right afterwards so that's not great and even the shark's just like holding off on this one um but susan is really resourceful and there's like some coral on the ground. She gets to grabs this coral and just rubs it in the zombie's face, which I'm on, always going to try to remember that next time I'm uh, attacked underwater. And uh, so the the zombie, this actor, not only is he a great stuntman, he actually he emotes so perfectly underwater. This just being annoyed by having a coral rubbed in your face, he really looks pissed off. 
So then she's able to get away, and basically we're left with just two uh, superpowers of evil to fight it out. And we get a lot of coverage. It's you got to watch the sequence. I mean, obviously everyone talks about how awesome the zombie versus shark scene is, and you know you just have to have a little bit of film knowledge just to realize how much footage there is to get all these different angles and these different setups. Uh, at one point, the zombie like rips the side of the shark, uh, and there's like you know fake blood, like he's taking a bite out of it. And then of course there's the part where they're actually grappling. There's a lot of coverage of that, and uh, this stuntman he was amazing because he had to obviously tuck his one of his arms under his shirt and be immobile so he could have the fake arm out and in the shark's mouth to get bitten off so that's just a really amazing um sequence and it's like who who would even think that they could pull something off like that much less they do it so that's just you know probably the best zombie thing ever i wish i had something more witty to say but you know, it stands on its own. Just the, it just stands on its own. And uh, also, Susan's able to get on back on board, and she's being towed off uh, very enthusiastically by the others. And uh, she's like, "There's a man down there," and you know, they're like, "What? What are we getting ourselves into?" Basically. So we're gonna cut back to the church slash hospital, and we know things aren't going too well by the establishing shot because we've got some ominous things. We got a lot of high wind, and we got goats hanging out. And you know that's not a good combination. So, and once we get inside, we it's even worse because like there's all these patients in the in the beds, and they're all like bloody and sweaty and gross. And you know it's like there's there's no time for a TikTok nurse dance routines routines here. I'll tell you that much. Uh, so the nurse is going to show the doctor one patient, and uh, they're like kind of examining his eye, and it's just a normal eye with like you know gross uh, you know sweat and normal eye stuff it's like you know normally when you show an eye in a Fulci movie it's getting uh poked out but as we'll soon see but um in this one it's like this is a gross eye scene that really is not going to get all the attention and love because there's no actual special effects it's just really grody but uh i'll point it out for you and oh and also what sells this scene is there's like they dub in all these fly sounds it's just you just uh, your skin crawls thinking about what it would be like to be in this situation, be a hundred yards or be a hundred miles within this situation. So they're going to have to take this guy who's clearly about to die by looking into his pupils, and they're going to take him away from the others into a sacristy, which I I looked up what that was, uh, and I've already forgotten it exactly. But it's basically just you know another room, his laboratory, and so they're going to tie him down, and uh, because he's obviously uh, going to rise from the dead. That's all there is to it. And as they're doing that, uh, Lucas comes in, and he's going to have a word with uh, Fulci, they're, uh, with uh, Dr. Maynard. They're going to go out and have a conference. And he's telling him that the natives are leaving the village. And, uh, well, you know, that's extra bad news. Uh, and Lucas says that there's a new juju man who's possessed by all the demons of hell. And so, you know, you got to figure, like, they don't explain much about what is causing this phenomena. And this is the the closest we get to having someone explain what it is and uh, you know why not i mean voodoo sure it's uh it's it's better that it's left sort of unexplained and kind of ambiguous and again that's just what i love about the these type of like zombie zombie movies so they don't over explain and also it's it's shot from kind of like the the point of view of like someone lurking in the bushes so it's just a really tense uh scene it's it's just really great 
And now in the next scene, it's now nighttime and you see the darkness and you see and you hear like some breathing off screen. And we're back at the Maynard's uh, man- Manor and there's uh, old, the gardener Miguel and his dog. They're out on the front steps just kind of hanging out, uh, you know, in a bad in a bad scenario. What do you do? Well, I tell you what you do. If you're the gardener and you hear otherworldly breathing at night, you just run away. It's not that complicated. He gets his dog, his trusty dog, and they're going to go ahead and probably go to the mainland and uh, get away from this crazy uh, infection world. Why not? Now, I would say the one thing about Miguel is he could have at least maybe knocked on the door and let Mrs. Maynard know uh, death was approaching, but... She is, of course, kind of busy. She's at, uh, taking a shower. Uh, totally perfect timing to cut back to the, uh, the Maynard house. And one of the things about this house is that the shower is overlooking like a really big window. Like this doesn't seem like the best, um, you know, planning. Especially if you're going to have a hot, sexy wife who's who needs to take, uh, you know, ang- anxiety showers. But as we all know, we're about to head into an, yet another iconic scene, another just back-to-back iconic zombie scene where she's toweling off and she's uh, getting uh, her night clothes on. She's also going to ha- get herself some uh, calm-down pills because that, that's going to be helpful under normal circumstances when she kind of hears something in an, up from another room. She definitely hears a noise, so she's going to go investigate that. And, of course, the, the genius here is that you don't see anything right away. Uh, just really amps up the tension uh so she's gonna like kind of go out and then kind of rush back to her room and if she tries to shut the door uh this very not very reassuring door uh there's gonna be pushback there's gonna be resistance and there's something on the other side of the door and it's trying to get in and so she just pushes with all her might and suddenly the first thing you see you do see fingers fingers trying to get into the door not necessarily brilliant fingers because they're just kind of uh pushed in between the door and the frame and they get bloody it's a really cool effect and she gets the door closed and uh she's going to barricade it now unfortunately this door is not a solid door even for an inside door it's pretty flimsy and it's got a bunch of uh horizontal slats which even a crippled up old zombie can like kind of punch through and it as he punches through now his hands is like grabbing and uh the the slats have like pushed out and now there's like one sticking out with like kind of a jagged point to it which is going to be pretty bad news for mrs maynard and uh what here's what happens next the zombie grabs her by the hair with one hand and here's the part that's a little bit unreal but because it's such a bravura shot performance and special effect you people probably don't even realize that this is actually impossible because what it's going to do is he's going to grab her by the hair with one hand and pull her and he pulls her right into the uh jagged uh stick that's been uh, made from breaking the slats and it goes right into her eye and it's just so slow it's it's fast but it's slow you know you get enough time to really cringe about it and then all of a sudden it's right in her eye it's a pretty cool effect. It's like a, a, a Fulci classic effect that is, you know, perhaps if you watch it a couple of times, you'll see, you know, you'll, I mean, you can see how it's done and everything, but just the, uh, if you think about it, if you were watching it in 1979 on a big screen 
it would just be blow your mind at how crazy that they actually went there with that. But for this to have actually happened in this movie, Mrs. Maynard would have to be kind of an idiot because if you're pulling with just one point, one hand on her hair, she could still swing her head around and miss that thing going in her eye. But, you know, it just happens, uh, you know, through movie magic that, you know, she got it in the eye. But it wouldn't have really happened that way if you're smart. So if you're being pulled by one hand into an object, uh, just kind of, you know, give your head a little, just be on, head, keep your head on a swivel. That's good advice in many different contexts. But this zombie, he, he just pulls her right through the hole in the door. And uh, that's all they say, all, all you can have of uh, Mrs. Maynard. And so I guess we go all the way back to the, a, a new day because there's, it's daylight and there's like, tribal drums beating in the background still very ba- still very bad news on those drums uh given the news there and there's something watching from the bushes still the nurse is walking through the village and she's going to find the the doctor maynard he's drunk on the beach and this is just a very well composed shot he's sad and drunk on on the ground there's like scuttled boats out in the water it just looks like everything's turning to shit it just perfectly captures the emotional mood of uh, what's going on and so uh i think is what happens is that body they took they taken in the sacristy is now dead in uh or no longer just dead so they're gonna have to go take care of this problem they go back to this laboratory uh there's the there's rabbits in a cage and a zombie that's tied up trying to get free so uh doctor's just gonna have to uh take that uh pistol and put another one down and as he's shooting his pistol Brian's on his boat on in the bay, and he's going to fire off his own uh, flare gun, trying to get some help there. Not the most competent uh, sailor, after all, or shark repeller. And so Lucas has been at the mass grave, kind of tending to uh, getting rid of the bodies, and he's going to be the one who sees the whole um, flares uh, for help. And so the nurse and the doc and doctor are taking the the body they just shot out to the grave, as you do. You want to get that out of the way pretty quickly. And uh, that's when Lucas is able to tell him about uh, that there's uh, flares coming from Catfish Bay. So the doctor's going to take care of that. He's going to drive out there and check on that. So Lucas will have to be the one to help put the body in the ground. And what's crazy about Lucas is when he grabs that, sh- the body's covered, totally covered in a sheet, but he happens to grab the bloodiest parts of the sheet. So, I mean, like this guy he's a real trooper. I mean, he doesn't complain about anything and he just, uh, grabs, uh, bloody sheets without a care in the world. And, you know, that's admirable if not a little bit crazy. And then Fulci just throws in this one little scene of uh, a woman. She's like delirious in bed. She's one of the patients and she's very gross and sweaty. And she's having this delusion of, or, you know, this hallucination, uh, this repressed memory coming to the, the fore of uh her husband who died but he was still walking around after the funeral and uh, i guess that's what happened to her i've got why she's uh in this uh stage four zombie uh death row here and it just kind of gives you a little feeling about tension ramping up and there's a a zombie in the village there's like a crab and a zombie kind of like sharing the road on on in the village there uh, so then that's when they cut back to the Land Rover, his Dr. Maynard's awesome blue Land Rover. And, uh, he's got, he's got our, uh, sailors in, in the car with him and, the, and he's discussing Anne's father. He's explaining about how, uh, you know, his father had got the disease 
And the doctor insisted that he leave, but the, the dad just wanted to be the guinea pig. It's a very self-serving story, but also it might be shielding Anne's feelings a little bit. Uh, but we do get to see a flashback, and um, the doc- this is when the doctor retells the opening, the cold open of this uh, movie. So that first zombie before the credits was the dad. And uh, when the funny thing is in the flashback, when the doctor says the boat can leave now, tell the crew, he's a little bit more casual than the uh, opening. So that's kind of a, a funny little variation there. And the guys from the boat who were just like wandering into this crazy scene, they're like, what is going on? What, what? Like, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, they handle it better than I'm handling it now, but they're a little bit concerned and confused. And Dr. Maynard says, well, have you ever heard of voodoo? And this is what's funny is uh, Brian's the first to speak up. He's a little bit, well, he's a lot skeptical about uh, voodoo and uh, stuff like that. When It's funny, whenever they he was being introduced uh, to Peter, he was saying, oh, man, can't go against native superstition. That's that's uh, no way to live live life. And now he's like the ultimate skeptic. It's kind of like he was just trying to blow off uh, Peter in that first scene and uh, not have to go on this crazy suicidal journey and she should have just stuck to his instincts there but of course he gave in instantly uh and then um after uh dr maynard's heard heard a little bit too much of his uh hat uh fedora tipping skepticism he's like well you know what you might think you're a fancy pants um boat driver but uh in fact it makes the dead stand up and walk so take that and when they get back to the church slash hospital, things are pretty high high tension. Uh, there's something happening to one of the patients, Mr. Fritz, and so Maynard's going to have to check on that really quickly. And so basically the one thing they can do is he, he asks the the sailors to go drive up the coast and uh, check on his wife at their house. And he's like, they're like, okay. So they're going to – Peter's going to take the wheel and they're going to drive away. And, you know, it's just the, – the news just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, the the zombies are in the village. They're going to lock all the doors on this church, which, wow, that's going to do a lot of good. And uh, this, the shot they cut to of the zombie walking through, this is like, I don't know. I wonder if people have complaints about the zombie because he's kind of just got like, mud on his face. But to me, it's one of the coolest zombie makeups I've ever seen just because it has that kind of abstract, weird quality like you know what you're looking at, but it's still a bit mysterious and odd, and it's just pretty unique. So I love this zombie makeup, and uh, all the zombie makeups in this movie are pretty unique. They're all different, and they're all really, really cool and gross. So that's awesome. And uh, so they're driving the Land Rover. They when they once they get to a house with like just amazing landscaping, they know they're there. And so they get out. They're kind of impressed by the whole uh, look of it. And so they go into the house there, and they're looking around, and it's a little bit too quiet. Uh, they're a little bit, you know, ca- cautious about just walking into someone's house, but since no one answered the door, they just kind of wander in. And of course, we're going to be treated to another iconic scene, a little bit more subtle than the last two. But um, they finally go into like the living room or wherever, and then all of a sudden, the horror hits them. I don't know if the smell had tipped them off beforehand, but whatever it is, now they know. They know unambiguously that something really messed up is happening. On the ground is Mrs. Maynard. Her bloody, torn-apart body is on the ground. And there's like four zombies. They're all the coolest-looking zombies ever. 
and they're just kind of casually, uh, they're kind of like emo kids, just looking at the ground, just kind of casually chewing on parts of her little, got a few, uh, miscellaneous organs that have been pulled out and they're just having a, a light little brunch, you might say. And so this, the horror just washes over everybody's face and they're really freaked out. And so they just kind of start backing up and turning away to run. And then right behind them are two zombies. Now, these two zombies, are they're guarding the door. I wouldn't say these are the best zombies to put on guard duty. They're a little frail. And so Peter is going to be the one who's going to actually be the hero of the scene. He's going to grab some antlers that have been on the wall. And he just bashes the shit out of these uh, not-too-good zombies here. And they're able to run out. You know, it's too bad that they didn't get to meet Miguel and um, appreciate, tell him about how much they appreciated his landscaping. But, of course, he's gone, and so are they. They're going to get the hell out of there. And then in the hurry, they end up uh, having, um, what's his face, uh, Brian take the wheel, which is going to be a huge mistake. Don't let this guy operate vehicles. He already fucked up the boat. And meanwhile, the doctor's not doing too well himself. He's had, he's having to shoot bodies uh, left and right. There's just those tied-up corpses everywhere. I mean, I don't know how many sheets they had, but, I mean, they're going through them all. And, you know, when Brian was first driving, he was driving that Land Rover really fucking slow. But then at one point, they're going down the road. I guess he's sped up a little bit. And all of a sudden, what happens is a damn zombie crossing. This is just like Hills Have Eyes or uh, Cannibal Ferox or something in the road. Only this time, it's a friggin' zombie. And, uh, you know, I think if you'd had Peter, they've, they've had Peter be the more alpha action oriented character. So if he had been driving, I think he would have just, uh, either not done what Brian did or would have just ran right the hell over this, uh, uh, creature that has no business walking around anyway. But Brian being not that great, sorry, Brian, but he's going to swerve. And instead of just swerving and avoiding, uh, the zombie, he's going to drive it all the way off the road. It goes way into this dense dense uh foliage and uh, he just cracks right into a tree and uh, this causes the radiator to start uh smoking uh comically and they get out to inspect it and they're like oh guess what i guess this car isn't operational anymore big uh, surprise there and peter is actually out of commission because he's just fucked up his ankle which of all the strange act uh you know injuries to sustain in that type of thing him being seated in the back seat he must have had his his uh his foot in a weird position you gotta you gotta not do that sort of thing you gotta be ready for anything Uh, another grave wax tip for you there you're never just a passenger and you can never take anything for granted especially a zombie crossing so just you know if you want to survive the world's only getting uglier okay guys and this is going to be an everyday occurrence so get with the program and so it's going to be a while before they get back to the church. So let's just cut back to the church uh, before they get there. And basically, Lucas is having another conference with Dr. Maynard, and they're having a. This is one of the more philosophical conversations they're going to have. Uh, just kind of asking, like, what the hell are we doing? We're trapped in this existential hell of uh, the living nightmare of uh, returning corpses. And this is when Lucas gets a little bit copyright violation y when he's going to basically say that you know when the earth spit out the dead they will come back to suck the blood of the living which is just i think just enough to not uh be you know liable to the screenwriter of uh, day of dawn of the dead 
but it's just not as quite as catchy. I mean, they might have should have just gone for broke and just ripped off the line word for word because nothing beats that line in, in Dawn of the Dead about uh, hell spitting, uh, spitting up the dead. That really was the optimal phrasing there. Uh, and then, you know, what's funny is that Dr. Maynard just kind of dismisses him. It's funny, like, he was more credulous back in the car, but now he wants to lord it over Lucas or something. Like, what, you think you're better than him or something? Uh, but, you know, that this is, like, so common in, in these screenplays where you'll have characters just kind of, like, say one thing and then say the other. It, 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 it could be, like, if done well, it would be... A comment on like how complicated life is but it just seems like it's uh you know the screenwriter just wasn't paying that much attention so i don't know i'm not gonna i'm definitely not gonna uh say too too much too much bad about it it is what it is it is a really dumb thing to be complaining about i realize as i'm saying it but i guess the one thing i will just overarchingly say about it is that why is dr maynard arguing over causes at this point and why with his assistant lucas his assistant lucas is just not is not an epidemiologist he's just a a, a very loyal sidekick so why give him shit that's all i'm saying so now it's just like the middle of the day you can tell and man it's going to be a long day for these guys uh peter's limping along and they're trying to get there trying to get back to that uh church like they said it was like seven or eight miles away. That's going to be a long way to way to travel when you're not exactly sure where you're at and you've got an injured person like this. So as they're going, um, Peter just has to rest. He, they've been going. They must have been walking for some ways, and uh, so he's going to have to just sit down. Uh, of course, Anne's going to sit down and kind of nurse him, help him be there for him. Meanwhile, Susan's kind of low-key, you know, like, let's just go on ahead. Like, she's kind of uh, saying, you know, let I, I want to keep continuing walking uh, away from the uh, living dead who want to eat us. And so she's not exactly the uh, selfless fool that Anne is. So she's kind of going on, and uh, Brian kind of is with her, and all of a sudden he, like, trips over something and picks it up and it's like a conquistador's hat and uh it's a, it's a pretty good find under any other circumstance that would be an amazing day it'd be like the best day of your life but it's not gonna go so well for brian uh in this particular context and uh he's always he's always quick to bring up how much he knows about everything he's like oh this helmet that ah, looks like 400 years old uh he's a real know-it-all i don't know why <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize i had such hostility towards brian until i had to describe this movie but uh, he is kind of a fuck-up. And then there's tombstones all around. So it happens to be... Now Peter's kind of uh, an idiot because he decided to take a rest in the middle of a goddamn cemetery. Uh, very bad luck on his part. His luck's totally changed. And sure enough, uh, there's as he's lying down and Anne's with him and they're kind of uh, getting mushy with each other. Gross. Uh, all of a sudden, this hand's going to come right out of the ground. And it grabs Anne's hair. They really like grabbing hair in this movie. So it's pulling her. Then there's another one with a sneak attack on Peter's hurt ankle. And uh, meanwhile, Susan, who could easily was standing up and could easily just run or get out of there. She's so damn uh, hot to uh, get out of there and have self-preservation uh, foremost at mine. Because there's a zombie that, you know, I don't care how shallowly you're buried in the ground if a zombie gets out of is coming out of the ground you have enough time to get away so this idiot susan she's just standing there like a like a total doof 
as uh, the most iconic zombie, the zombie from the poster rises up. He's got the worms in his eye. He's got the evil, rotten grin. He's got the strange, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's like earth mud skin kind of like bark, almost like tree bark. It's so thick. And he's going to waste no time. And he goes right for her neck. And he just takes a huge bite out of her neck and pulls away. And there is just so much blood that just gushes out of her neck. It's like a fire hydrant. It's one of the coolest things ever. Uh, just uh, so much blood pouring out of her. And, of course, Ryan is a little bit perturbed by that. So he grabs the rifle and starts sh- gives it uh, the zombie a couple shots to the chest. Which, I don't know, who doesn't know that you shoot a zombie in the head? But uh, as that has no effect, Peter's going to grab uh, a cross uh, in the ground, one of those uh, tombstones. I... I'm doing well today, aren't I? So he's going to grab it. He's going to bash the shit out of the zombie. The zombie goes down, and then he just smacks him in the the skull, and the skull comes apart, and there's just got a uh, brain pan full of blood just everywhere. And it's like, Peter, you did a good job killing the zombie, especially with the broken ankle, but did you have to uh, really take the the spotlight off Brian? I mean, this was really his... Uh, it, it was his shot to kill this thing. I mean, it was his duty. He just killed his uh, his girlfriend. I would be a little bit mad at Peter for not letting me, you know, uh, get my revenge. But it doesn't really matter because, again, Brian's just kind of a moron and is uh, going into like a trance of uh, self-pity and sorrow. And they have to like convince him, like, you know, okay, there's nothing you can do for Susan. She's absolutely dead. Her throat's been ripped out. She's gone. She must have suffered incredibly. Uh, but she's dead now. She'll never come back. You'll never see her again. I don't know what the state of her soul is either. She might, I mean, from the way she scuba dived, I mean, I don't know about the way she lived her life or how her relationship with her creator, but she's gone now, whatever it is. And they have to run. And, of course, everyone's full of adrenaline, and Peter can, like, move on that uh, gimpy uh, ankle now. And there's more zombies coming out of the dirt. They all look really cool. Some of them have uh, worms, you know, just on their face or whatever. And it's just some of them are, like, dry rotted. Like I say, like, everyone has a really unique look, and it's uh, really cool. Uh, even some of the, the camera POV shots of, like, the corpse corpse vision as they rise up from the ground is, is really cool. And it takes them all. It takes them till sundown, past sundown, to uh, get there. They're still. It's night's fallen, and they're still stumbling through the trees. And mercifully, we're spared a lot of it. We just cut straight to night. And there's zombies behind them. They really do the tension well. They get good coverage of uh, showing exactly how the zombies aren't right up, right behind them, but it's very ominous and just not being able to see them exactly. Just glimpses of them and hear their sounds is really the probably the most effective way to do this. And um, they finally see the church. It's it's like a sight for sore eyes, even this busted down old church. So they're going to run for it. And the, and meanwhile, inside, of course, the doctor is examining more dying people. There's just, everyone should be dead by now. God damn it. There's just not enough trouble to deal with. There's still patients. And uh, so the the guys get to the door and they're pounding on the door. And of course, no one's there to open the door right away. It's one of the, it's not like just a, a regular door. It's like a big barn door with like a, a, a bar across it. And so they've got to lift it up. They kind of milk the tension there. And uh, Brian's kind of like, uh, you know, <laughs> when someone's, uh, this happens a lot of times when you're in a kind of a heightened emotional state. Uh, everything's, everything's fine, but you still uh, bitch and moan. And it just, it just not, it's not a good look. So again, 
calling out Brian. I just have no faith in this guy. And in fact, he's the one, uh, whenever they close the door behind them, he's the one barricading the door behind behind him. So you know that uh, these zombies are going to get in pretty quickly. Uh, And they also, one more great uh, cutaway scene where you you show like the zombies approaching the, the church and they, sh- they show about three different zombies. And, of course, these are the really cool zombies uh, you see in all the pictures. It's just, man, I just can't go. I can't say enough good things about how cool these zombies look. And uh, Maynard asks, well, what about my wife? She's not here uh, with them. And, you know, he gets just silences his answer. So he knows that he's, he's finally free of this old broad. And there's no time for mourning. They've got to go board up the windows close all the doors, get everything ready. There's uh, there's there's kerosene in, in, apparently on premises, so they're going to take uh, bottles. Luckily, uh, the Menards are like huge alcoholics, so there's no limit to bottles around. They're going to make some Molotov cocktails. And uh, there's already zombies like banging on the window. Um, they're making their, their Molotov, they have their Molotov cocktail making party. And uh, there's that, that one guy they mentioned earlier fritz one of his patients who was his friend is still hasn't been buried and hasn't been even restrained and he blindsides the doctor with like this it looks like he's given given him a big smooch on the cheek but really he's just giving him zombie aids and uh brian this time okay brian he he actually kind of redeems himself he's he's he has some pretty cool um scenes in this final showdown he like shoots the zombie twice and like gets a headshot uh there's another zombie rising behind Lucas in another room. I mean, like, okay, you know that the dead are rising and everyone, all the, your patients are dying. So keep, like, a corpse inventory, guys. Like, keep your eye on the dead people in your freaking house. It's just, I, I can't stand that kind of uh, unpreparedness. They deserve everything they get and more. Uh, Brian hears a scream and there's, like, uh, there's even, like, trap doors with zombies coming through it. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and Brian's actually, do, like I say, doing well. He's got good accuracy, uh, blowing away these zombies in, the, in there. And uh, so they're getting, ri- they're helping the nurse get away from this one. These like, there's like two of these zombies here, but they forgot that uh, Lucas had been uh, bitten as well, and it was off there, off to the side. And so he's gonna uh, basically show up and cause a lot of problems, uh, sneak up on him, and like the windows are just being breached everything's going to shit and uh, they get inside they break through Brian's flimsy barricade and there's this is like a cool scene where they're all barricaded in they start throwing the Molotov cocktails and there's like fire fire and zombies and gunfire it doesn't get any better than that uh, they're marching very slowly onward one of their arms falls off it's a really cool uh, little uh, detail there and there's zombies on fire there's a lot, a lot of stunt work. It's really cool. We're almost done. You won't have to listen to me that much longer. They're going to make a retreat. It's basically just now Anne, Peter, and Brian, the only ones left alive. They retreat through the back way. They're about to run off back to the boat. They're going to have to just try to see if they can get this gimpy boat to back to some other place of civilization. And as they're running, who do they run into but Susan? It's always awkward when you're out doing stuff and you run into your ex and there she is. Brian is uh, just overwhelmed with uh, emotion, stunned into a state of uh, silence and motionlessness, which, of course, Susan just takes the opportunity to uh, kill him with. She bites his arm, and uh, 
uh, Peter shoots shoots her, gets rid of her, but just a second too slowly, it seems. And they get off uh, away from the zombie horde attacking the church, and they do get to their boat. In fact, by the time they get to their boat, we see them. It's daylight again, and Brian's not doing so good. That bite did not go over well. He's really sick. He's uh, shivering with cold, extreme cold. He's probably hungry and extremely whiny. So they're just going to lock him below, just get rid of him. Uh, now the, the two lovers, Anne and Peter, finally get to be together and confess their love and uh, just have this kind of you know, self-recriminations that aren't really, they're just excuses for the other one to go, oh, no, 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 you're, you're great. We did, we got into this together and everything. And, uh, so they're thinking like, okay, Brian's dead or dying or whatever. He's locked in the bilge. Uh, what, I mean, what are they going to do with him? Plus it's his boat. I mean, what, what's going on? And, uh, so Peter's thinking like, well, you know, we're just going to have to keep him. We're going to have to keep him and show him, um, show his uh, reanimated corpse to whoever we whoever whatever authority we run into because no one will believe this otherwise this has been a real crazy day and uh so they in, in the they want to get their mind off off uh you know the horror that they've just witnessed and are still enduring so they're going to turn on some radio and instead of getting like some nice caribbean music instead there's this bulletin from new york about how gosh darn it the zombies have taken over new york city Tell me something I don't know, but it's very ironic. They don't have to keep Brian around after all because, uh, you know, there's chaos in the streets. The zombies are taking over. The city is at their mercy. Brian's rattling the door trying to get out. And uh, our last scene is the zombies walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. A very iconic uh, shot there. I didn't even know you could walk across it that way. I'm not a very cosmopolitan person. I don't know anything about these uh, strange locations, but... It just looks really awesome as the zombies just stroll across uh, this bridge on their way to spread more mayhem, death, and destruction. And, and I, I couldn't be happier. I think this is the one of the best zombie movies ever made. It's It just goes to show you how many good zombie movies and how much, like, Dawn of the Dead, Zombie 2, Return of the Living Dead, they all have kind of the same... Uh, structure, well, you know, maybe maybe some more than others. Uh, some some are have more variation than others, but they're still all very different in tone, in like their effect, everything about it. That's why zombie movies are just so cool. They're right up there with slasher movies. In fact, uh, they have a lot more variation than slasher movies, even though there's probably more slasher movies than anything else. Not to you know shit on one or the other. But I just love zombie movies. This movie always makes me, leaves me with like just the best feeling in the world. So I'm so glad you were there to discuss it with me today. I'm the Crimson Stain, and this has been uh, the Grave Wax Podcast, and we'll be back with a new episode real soon.